In today's podcast, Swami Nirmalananda talks about saviors and personal responsibility. Yes, this is really a good question. Thank you. Can you talk about how Jesus is the Savior, knowing that our liberation is our personal responsibility? Yes, thank you for saying those words, knowing that our liberation is our personal responsibility, because that is it. So then, how is Jesus the Savior? Well, first of all, there are many saviors as far as the earth is concerned, as far as the human race is concerned. What is a savior? A savior is someone who awakens and whose influence can guide and elevate a person to the path that leads to liberation. Nobody ever gives it to us. No one. No one on earth ever has. We give it to ourselves, in a sense. There was a very, very renowned spiritual kind of advisor. They use the word elder or heranda in Greek. who was in the Greek Orthodox Church. He lived on a little island. And hundreds of people came to see him every day. And he didn't have time to mess with the ego. Therefore, uh, they rarely even ask him anything. They just came and stood in front of him. And he would say, look, this is your way of thinking. And this is a mistake. And you need to understand it's better. And so on. And okay, next. And uh, so uh, someone I knew had met him. And he said that the man was so holy and so wonderful that he... He couldn't keep from crying. He said tears just kept flowing and flowing because he was in the presence of this divine personality, really. And so when he was going to leave, he said to him, please pray for me. And the elder said, no, I'm not going to pray for you. You have to pray for yourself. I can't eat for you. I can't sleep for you. I can't breathe for you, and I can't lead a spiritual life for you. So you do it. You've learned it. And so that was it. It didn't sound all noble. Yes, my child, I will always be with you, even though you don't see me or help. See, people love that kind of talk. They just love it, love it, love it. Uh, of course, it's a lie, but... Uh, that has never, ever at any time deterred anyone from, from uh, going on that path. So then, that, that's it. But there are these great beings, they come and they change the world. Not just having an influence on society and among people who met them, but they literally leave behind them a spiritual influence. Now, I can't explain how. <laughs> Certainly, I can explain why, because we need it. But they do. And they are a living presence in the world for some people, not everyone. Lao Tzu is one, a glorious master. Buddha, 
Krishna, of course, Jesus, but other very, very great ones who, when we're right on their wavelength and we have to be on it all our own, they suddenly move something inside us. They suddenly develop something, are hearing about them. And it won't be the same for everybody. There are some people who are totally disinterested in, in many great, great beings like this. But there will be one that somehow speaks to them. Gandhi talked about his wife, Kostravai. And he said, she moves me as no other woman moves me. Well, there are spiritual great beings like that. That when we just hear about them, something inside says, I've got to know more about that. So it's the inspiration they give us. If we have records of their teachings, then of course, their words will do it. And therefore, they inspire us and awaken us to this. And they motivate us to this. Now, I can't get more specific, but you understand there are no doubt hundreds of thousands of people right now who are being profoundly affected by one of these very glorious beings. And there's many others who aren't. But they have this ability. And so when you develop an affinity, you don't have to worship them and all this thing. You just put your mind on them. Then it elevates you and it helps you. Of course, please understand, the only way you get to the, on the path is you take a step, everything by yourself. Now, we used to sing songs about Jesus. Oh, he walks with me and he talks with me and so on and so on. I never knew anybody that happened to except perhaps my grandmother who could talk to God and he would answer back. But uh, we make it on our own. And ultimately we make it all on our own without companionship. That, that is the truth and I want to emphasize that. But it can be if there's an affinity, if there's not, there's not, and you just don't pay any attention. You don't have to believe in every one of them, but they are, they are a help. I don't know if that's very adequate or not, but there are such things as great liberated beings who don't just come to earth and leave, their physical presence they'll withdraw, but their spiritual presence remains here. So Jesus is one, Jesus heals, Jesus speaks to people. People see Jesus and talk to him. I mean, I grew up in a fundamentalist Protestant religion, which as a religion was pretty basic and pretty primitive. But Jesus wasn't basic and primitive. After all, he was a great not yogi. And so I've seen healing. I have seen blind people see. I have seen paralyzed people walk. I've seen remarkable, remarkable things take place just at the invocation of Jesus. I actually saw a young girl who had one leg at least six inches or so shorter than the other. And that shorter leg, it was just, you could, you see, she had a shoe on, 
Uh, but you know, it was like like the leg was just just like a little stick. And I stood there. I saw that leg lengthen, become normal. I mean, I witnessed it. I didn't just hear about it. It was quite amazing. Of course, we would like there to be more to this life than just health, especially since we have a lot of advances in medicine. But it does happen, and it happens with Buddha. There are certain aspects of Buddhism that Buddhists don't tell anybody about because they know how Western people love to loot anything that they just may have a yen for. But Buddha is working miracles today through a certain means. That's all I want to say about it. And, and it's commonplace. But they just don't tell outsiders about it. So, and Krishna, the transformation people make, people see Krishna, people move with Krishna. Or Rama also. You understand in India, you've got a lot to choose from because that's where it all began and that's where it has all been continuing for thousands and thousands of years. And so you have great beings like that. If any of you ever go to India, I hope you'll go to Rishikesh. I hope you'll go to the Shiva Nandashram. There's a great hall there where Shivananda's body is kept. Of course, you, you don't see it, but uh, it's, it's a Samadhi shrine. And when you enter that hall, you're with Swami Shivananda. There was no one I missed ever more of people I knew in India than I missed Swami Shivananda. I used to think there was nothing I wouldn't give for just three minutes, three more minutes in that wonderful present. So when I went and there they had made this and I walked in, well, it was heaven to me. And I sat there and meditated and it was wonderful. But there were of course about two or three people gabbling to each other. In other words, they just come in to get it out of the sun. They weren't interested in Shiva, not at all. So I was wanting to meditate and hear And so I said, Swamiji, won't you please get rid of these people? They shut up instantly and they got up and they laughed. So I know that Shiva Nanda pays attention to <laughs> very much to the people who are there. So by their own glorious powers. And there are some though, that they say goodbye, I'm gone. You'll never be hearing from me and then they go away. But there are these people through their own will and through their mercy and love. You, I cannot describe what it was like being with Shivananda. There was no way to put it. When he walked in the room, God was in the room. But his love, his love, his mercy, people babble about love, but they don't know love. Who God is love. So do you realize how rare that is? Of course, it means love's all pervading, since God is all pervading. 
But it's not a simple thing. It's not just affection and kindness. And his love transforms. And it was a thing in, indescribable. His humility was phenomenal. Uh-oh, now I'm going to get stuck on that, Arnie. Listen, I've got to tell you about this one incident. So one day in the morning satsang, which was always absolutely heavenly. I mean, literally, I used to look out the, the door of, the, of the, what they call the Diamond Jubilee Hall. Well, there it was. There was Rishikesh, you know, and there were some trees and this and that. And I'd be astounded because inside the feeling we had, it was as if we'd been lifted hundreds of miles above the earth into a whole other realm. And I'd be amazed. Well, you know, I, I don't see infinite space. <laughs> We're right here at this, at this point physically. But Inwardly, we were somewhere completely different with his in incredible presence. Okay, so one day there was a woman that came in the satsang hall. She had about the thickest glasses I've ever seen in my life. She must have really, really, really poor eyesight. So at one point in the satsang hall, because you understand we did kirtan, People sometimes gave uh, brief talks on spiritual subjects, uh, holy things were read, and so on. It was about an hour long. So, so it was all going on. So though she was at one side of the room, she came kind of crawling forward and Shivananda was sitting in this chair and it was cold weather. So he had uh, a piece of, of cloth sort of over his over his legs because it was cold. So she came forward and she took her glasses off and she began cleaning her glasses with the cloth that, that was covering him. And so Swami Devananda, who uh, sort of always accompanied Swamiji when he came in and out from the satsang hall, who was sitting on the other side of Swamiji, actually jumped up and went like this. And so she crawled back. And Shivananda looked at her, looked down at the cloth, and held up the cloth as if, go ahead. So <laughs> she came back. She began cleaning the glasses on the cloth. Devananda jumped up and started to do this, and Swamiji instead went like that. So Devanandaji sat down and kept quiet. So she carefully cleaned her glasses. I'm sure she felt that this would help her eyesight. She didn't just want clear lenses. But he acted like, this is yours. This belongs to you. I belong to you. And you, you had that feeling, you had that wonder. And he hasn't left the world. We have his books, but we also have his presence. And you will, you will find it there. Now, I really took a long time on that. Uh, but again, it is according to your karma, it's according to your samskara. There are people that never get in touch 
with great souls like this, and there are people that do it all the time. For example, uh, my second trip to India, we, we went there through the very first thing was to go into the Himalayan foothills to Dehradun, to where there was a spiritual kind of conference that took place every year with Anandamai Ma. People came from different parts of India, re religious leaders, scholars, and throughout the day, there'd be talks. We had meditation twice a day, but then these people would speak on very spiritual subjects. In the evening, Ma herself would answer questions. So a couple of the people who were with me had been asked by some uh, people there, well, uh, kind of what are you here for and what do you feel you're gaining? Well, naturally, they said be in mother's presence was, shall we say, a changing experience. And they said, one of the things that amazes us is that mother is constantly changing. And that was true. I knew that. For example, before I went to India, a friend of mine had a collection of at least 200 photographs of Ma. I think he had about 300. And he had these gigantic albums. I mean, they were, they were huge. And he had all these pictures there. He had two of them. And I used to go and just spend time just turning the pages, looking at them. But when I saw Ma for the first time, I didn't recognize her. Because none of the pictures really captured her. Now, those of you who've seen motion pictures of Ma, you know what she looked like. Because there you're seeing her moment to moment. But she was always changing. She would look young. She would look old. I've been in a room where mother was, except for me, and mother was the tallest person there. And within 20 minutes, she was the shortest person. I mean, her body changed like that because it was pure consciousness. It was pure thought. And as her bhava changed, as her whole, again, I don't know a word for this, and besides, Ma wasn't anything like any of us. So the truth is you can't say anything about Ma except the fact that you can't say anything about Ma. But she, these changes took place. So someone asked Ma in the evening satsang, the next night, they said, these two Americans here say, they see you continually changing. That you even look at different ages and so on. Uh, is that real? Ma said, yes, but you have to have very pure minds to see it. So people kept coming later on to them and saying, do you really see this in Ma? They say, well, yes, they assumed everybody did. And they say, we'd give anything to see it. But there was the problem, see? They wanted to have a show. They wanted to see a phenomenon. Oh, Ma did this, Ma did, oh, I saw Ma the work of miracles. Those two were yogis. They wanted to know God. You see? Therefore, they could see these things. 
is no small subject. You see, the inner dis disposition of the individual determines the entire thing. That's why ultimately, of course, you are the savior. You save yourself. No one else can save you because you're already saved. That's the real, that's the real secret of it. We're coming here in this world. We're going through this dream because we need to develop the consciousness of our unity with that which is absolute. And it is all in our head. <laughs>